Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. We've entitled this message this morning, When the Lights Go Out, <laughs> when it's so dark that it's so hard sometimes to find where God is when the lights go out. I find the Psalms to be refreshingly honest, no pretense. It's raw at its deepest core. And in so, um, in so many ways, it's like you are reading someone's personal journey, their highs, their lows, some, some of the agony, the, the stress that they face. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 13. And when you read the beginning of this chapter, there's going to be, you, you recognize something is going on <laughs> that's not sitting right with the author of Psalm 13. And, and David is the psalmist who writes this psalm. And, and you remember David, he, he's the one with the title, a man who's after God's heart, a man after God's own heart. With that kind of a title, you would think he would protect his reputation that I want to be very careful what I say. I can't really let people know what I'm really thinking because, hey, I've got the title. I, I have an image to protect. I'm a man after God's heart. But not so with David. He, he just kind of lays it out on the line. I, he's very honest. I, I remember years ago, probably 25 years ago, when I was working down in the States and I was a young youth pastor and, and I remember uh, the lead pastor saying to me, and I love this guy, he's such a great lead pastor, and he said to me, you know, Donald, don't let anybody know that you have problems. As pastors, we can't let anybody know that we have problems. And I remember th listening to that and thinking, uh, wow, you know, I, I want to be honest. And, and, I, and I, I look back and I realize he wasn't asking uh, for the pastor staff to be fake. He was just saying, people have problems. The last thing they need to do is just deal with your problems. So let's just, you know, make it look like everything is okay. And as I began to think that, I thought to myself, but I really want to be honest. I, I want people to know that at, at age 55 years old, it, I have found it or I thought it would be so much easier to live the Christian life. I did. I thought it would be. But I'm more and more aware of how desperate I am for God's grace. See, I, I need it more now. But I recognize I need it more now than I did in my mid-20s. I thought I was doing pretty good. But I'm desperate. In fact, if we're honest and if we're real, all of us are desperate uh, for God's grace and his help and his strength. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to become a professional a fake Christian who says one thing and does another. I think that is one of the reasons we, when we read the Psalms, we gravitate toward them because we can relate to them. Uh, it, it isn't something that's fake. Uh, and in fact, in this chapter, you're gonna realize David does not paint himself in a good light. And we discover that, really, he's just like us. He has highs and lows. There's days he's very confident and there's days he's insecure. There's days that he's living a righteous life and there's days that he gives into sin. And so when we study this particular chapter, when we study the life of David, we see ourselves reflected uh, in the mirror. That's where the rubber meets the road. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do this morning, uh, or some kind of electronic device, would you turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 13. If the Bible is fairly new for you to navigate, Psalms is an easy book to find. You just open your Bible in the very center and let it fall open, and it'll be right there, the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 13. 
Now, there has been this movement of intensity in the Psalms. You read Psalm chapter 10, uh, 10, 11, and 12, there's this intensity building. And in chapter 13, there's even a greater intensity. It keeps going. See, in chapter 12 of Psalms, David is crying out to the Lord, all the righteous, all the godly, where are they? In fact, it's, it's even worse than that. He says, all the godly, all the righteous, they have abandoned me. And that's in chapter 12, but then things get worse in chapter 13 because David all of a sudden thinks to himself, oh my goodness, not have only the righteous abandoned me, but it seems as though God has abandoned me. And so there's this intensity that has been building all along because God feels now that, or David feels now that God has. That's the impression, that's, that's how he feels. I think if we're all honest, there are times, like David, that we feel that maybe God is just a little too far out of reach. Sometimes we feel that maybe God has abandoned us. So when you feel that, well, let's consider what David has to say in chapter 13 of Psalms. And what I'm gonna do this morning uh, I'm just going to ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning. It's going to be Psalm chapter 13, and I want to be able to read this with the intensity that I think David writes this chapter. So Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Forever? Uh, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Like, how long will my enemies triumph over me? Look at me and answer, oh Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I'm going to sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fail. But, but I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. My heart's going to rejoice in your steadfast. And I'm, and I'm going to sing to the Lord because he has been good to me. There's this intensity from David. And with that, let's pray. Father, as we read through this psalm, we see, we feel the loneliness of David. We, we feel the tension in his life. And he's being so honest to us. And, and so God, I pray that as we look at this psalm, that we'll, get, we'll grab a fresh glimpse of who you are. That though there may be times we feel that you have abandoned, the facts are you never have. And so God, help us this morning to be able to walk away with that truth, that you walk with us, that you're closer than any brother, that you made a promise that you would never leave us, that you would never abandon us. And God, may those truths resonate in our life. This morning we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
Have you ever sent a text or, or an email or, or left a voicemail um, that's saying, listen, I, I need some help. Would you call me back immediately? And, and you're waiting and you don't hear anything back, so you, you fire off another email or you leave another voice message. It's, it's really urgent. Like, I, I really need to hear from you today. Would you please call me ASAP as soon as you get this message? And then you wait and you wait And all you hear is crickets. And it gets frustrating because you were desperate. You, you really wanted to hear from this friend. You, you, maybe you really needed their advice. You really needed their insight. And a day goes by and a week goes by and a month goes by and said nothing. You're beginning to think, well, my goodness, did someone kidnap them? Have they died? Have they moved out of the country? Why haven't they gotten back to me? And then all of a sudden you see them maybe a month later in the grocery store and they say, oh, I meant to get back to you, but I was really busy. And you're like... I really, like I was desperate. I, I really needed to hear from you. Well, that's what's going on here in Psalm chapter 13. David is desperate to hear from God. He, he feels like he, he sent out emails and texts and he's made phone calls and it seems as though God is not speaking. Like he's been trying to get in touch with God, but it seems to David that he's not interested in getting in touch with me. Have you ever prayed to God and, and you ask them, you know, God, I just need some insight. I need some wisdom on a future decision. And you, you're waiting, you know, Lord, uh, should I marry this girl or not? You know, should, I, uh, should I move my family out of the city and take that job promotion and try to find a new church? Like, God, is that what you want for me? Uh, God, uh, should I remain in this marriage? Like, it's, it's really hard. And then you wait. And, and you wait, and it's so quiet, and you don't hear anything. So you pray again, God, I really need you, your help in this situation. And then you just start to wonder, does God even hear me? Does he even care what's happening in my life? I mean, there, there's a time frame on this, Lord. In fact, I found myself, I get sometimes so stressed out because I'm in a rush, and God isn't. And that's how David feels. And not only you sense a silence, but you begin to, your mind begins to wonder, like, has God gone on vacation? I mean, where are his promises? I, I thought he made some promises, right? Like, stick closer to the brother, that he won't leave me, he won't abandon me. But I can't seem to find him anywhere. And then what happens? Worry begins to creep up to the front door. Any worry addicts in the house? If I'm completely honest, which I want to be with you, I feel like I should have a PhD in worry. I've done a lot of it. And worry is like being in a rocking chair. It keeps you busy all day, but you don't accomplish much. And we wonder, will God come through this time? Will he protect me? Will he provide for me? Will he be true to his promises? You know, sometimes it's hard to think that God is in control of the universe and that he's in control of my life when I look at the circumstances that are happening all around me. We begin to wonder, God, really? And it seems when you read through this chapter that David has fallen into despair. How long, oh Lord? And it seems that every child of God sometime in their life will probably 
feel neglected, maybe abandoned by God. You know, maybe you've just been waiting for a long, long time for God to do something that you feel needs to be done. How long? That's the question David is asking. And he didn't just ask it once, he asked it four times. And it's a very critical question. Lord, how long? I mean, I know that sometimes I can get discouraged and frustrated when, when, the, when it's a very short time frame in a trial that I'm experiencing. I think sometimes we feel like we could endure a lot more if we knew when the end was going to happen, when the end was in sight. Maybe we could endure a little bit more. How long? How long, Lord? Will you forget me? That's what he says. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? The pain of David's heart came from a sense that God had forgotten him and that God was distancing himself from him. I don't know what he's even facing, tell you the truth. I don't know what the, situ- what the situation, maybe he's even faced worse circumstances before in his life, but he, f- he sensed the presence of God, therefore he could face the trial. But now this circumstances is happening, he, he, can't, he, just, he doesn't feel God. And so things are, are, are much different. And then it just seems to be going on and on. In fact, it's gone on so long, it seems like David has forgotten that better days ever existed in his life. The feeling of loss and abandonment, it's just so great that he's unable to know or see when the end will come. And of course, we don't know what David is specifically referring to. I mean, he was anointed king as, as a young teenager, but it was years before he became the king. Is that what he's referring to? I don't know. It, maybe he's referring to the years and years and years that Saul is trying to hunt him down to kill him, and he's living in caves. Maybe that's what he's referring to. I don't know. Maybe he's referring to when his son Absalom kind of turned on him and was trying to usurp his authority and try to take over his father's throne. I, I don't know what the situation, we don't know, but it has gone on for a very, very long time. And David just begins to wonder, God, I, are you there? Been going on for a very long time. I love this verse in Isaiah 49. It says, But Zion said, the people of God, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. That was the cry of their heart. They felt like they were in despair, and they began to cry that as a nation. And then God responds by saying, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Well, it might happen. It probably won't, but even if that happened, he says, I will never forget you. See, I have inscribed your name in the palm of my hand. It's like he's got a tattooed, I'll never forget who you are. And David says, you've hidden your face from me. Of course, God hadn't hidden his face from David. He hadn't abandoned, hadn't forgotten, but that's what David is feeling, and so therefore it has become his reality. That God was hiding. God seemed so far removed that it seemed like his hand of blessing was off of David's life. You know, the protection, the refuge, the safety that he depended on seems to have been taken away. It's like David has fallen out of good graces with the Lord. 
I mean, to face someone, at least you feel like, okay, there's interaction, maybe love, but he says you've hidden your face, which kind of gives the idea he's turned his back on him like, I reject you. That's what David is, is feeling. And so it becomes very true and real for David. And I think all of us have had to work through confusing experiences of faith. I mean, if you talk to a believer or a non-believer, you talk to a Christian or a non-Christian, you talk to a mature Christian or a baby Christian, all have the same struggle and the same question when it comes to how God is running the world. When things go wrong or troubles come, many times these are the words, where is God? What happened with God watching over me? And then we begin to doubt. Which seems where David is struggling right now at the beginning of the psalm. We begin to doubt. You know, why did God allow this certain thing? Or, or why didn't he do this certain thing? And by the way, I, I struggle with the same questions that you struggle with. If we wrestle through this. You know, especially when you're, you're trying to live your life to be pleasing to the Lord. You've done everything possible to honor God and the report still comes back, you're not pregnant. The struggle with infertility continues. Or like, you want to do right and be right and yet the report comes back, you have aggressive cancer. Like, what's, what's that, God? I just want, to, just want to please you with my life. You know, and you want to raise your family right and provide for your family and all of a sudden there's a pink slip that says you're no longer needed here at this job. And you begin to ask, God, what's going on? In fact, you begin to watch what's happening all around the world and you begin to think, God, I, I don't like how you're running the world. I almost feel like I could do a better job than you. Because it seems to me that bad people are getting away with stuff and good people are getting smacked around. And that's where the struggle David is having. And this question arises from all around the world. God, are you even there? In fact, Bible writers, some of our Bible heroes that we read about in, in the Bible, struggle with doubts. All the way back, you know, think of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Elijah. Like, they're all wondering. Um, the, the list is endless. Think of John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, actually started to doubt and said, wrote a note and said, are you really the one that we're supposed to be looking for? Because I, I don't know. You know, in, in fact, one of the apostles, didn't they get a label as a doubter? His title, Doubting Thomas. I think of Matthew chapter, uh, or, yeah, Matthew chapter 28. You know, uh, Jesus has already rose from the dead. Hundreds and hundreds of people have seen him. And it's the day that he's going to uh, be ascended into heaven. And so here's all these people watching. And then it says in, in Matthew chapter 28, and some doubted. I'm like, how could you doubt you're right there? You're watching him ascend into heaven. But it says, and some doubted. What? Doubted. I, I like what J.D. Greer said. Doubt happens when the superficiality of our faith meet the reality of the world. Let me say it one more time. Doubt happens when the superficialities of our faith meet the reality of this world. Because sometimes we have the superficial thing, well, you know, life should be always good for me. It should be, I should be always happy and healthy and wealthy and it should all be good. And then when the rubber meets the road, you're like, oh, this is not how it's happening. 
Doubt is a divinely sent messenger that sends you deeper into him. I, I, I like this analogy. Doubt is it's kind of like raising your leg and you're poised to either go forward or backward. So you could, doubt can either cause you to go back and begin to question your faith or doubt can cause you to go forward where you actually dive deeper into him and who he is. It's a deeper trust. And not only is David here feeling abandoned by God, but then he says, I'm wrestling with all these flood of emotions and thoughts that are going through my head. And David's just simply describing the despair that he feels. And, and it seems like his thoughts are eating away at him. It's like he's fighting all these negative thoughts in his mind. And how many times have we had to wrestle with those same thoughts and same emotions when we're suffering in the midst of a trial? When our mind tells us, just give up, give in. I can't be truthful. And that's the battle that David is expressing here. See, David knows the reality that God hasn't left him, but because he expressed that a little bit later in the in chapter there, but at this moment, he's desperate. And, and so what's happening is David is wrestling with what he knows about who God is, but what his experience is, the fact that he is suffering. So well, I, I know you to be a loving God, but why am I suffering? And so the two don't seem to be matching. That's the conflict. That's what he's wrestling through in his head. And then David goes on to say about his enemies, how they're triumphing over him. It seems like when things are going bad, it can even get worse that, you know, people will kick you down a little farther, stump you know, on top of you to push you down a little bit farther. There's always people that will take you down even farther. And that's what David's saying. My enemies, they're everywhere. Now, in this period of history, and for a lot of years, people assumed when you were going through a hard time, it must be because there's sin in your life. That's the only reason why you're experiencing this. In fact, you read the book of Job, and all of Job's friends said, okay, Job, uh, something's going on. I mean, you've lost everything. Come on, confess up. What have you been doing? Because God wouldn't treat his own people that way. So that's the mindset. When hard times come, must be that God is not pleased with me. And sometimes I think that even happens today. People fall in that mindset. Oh, you're sick because... You have a lack of faith. Oh, you're sick because what? Did you do something that you never confessed to God? But this week when I was uh, reading and studying, I, I came across this incredible story. It's Mark chapter 4. A lot of you will know. You don't even have to turn there for it. But in Mark chapter 4, there's this story. And Jesus has been teaching all day. And then Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. So the disciples did exactly what Jesus had told them to do. They're smack dab in the middle of God's will. There's Jesus in the boat. There's the disciples in the boat. They're making their way across the sea. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, out of nowhere, havoc. This incredible, fierce storm. And, and the boat begins to rock back and forth. And it says the waves are going up over the boat. And it seems as though the boat is about ready to sink. Like, what is going on? It says that the seasoned uh, mariners who are used to being on rough seas are terrified. They're scared to death. Now, may I remind you, they did exactly what God had told them to do, what Jesus had said, get in the boat and go across the sea. 
And yet out of nowhere this storm arises. Yet they're doing exactly what God asked them to do. And they feel like they're about to go under. Have you ever been in that situation where you feel like you're just, you're just grasping breath before you drown? Feeling overwhelmed. You know, maybe the unexpected circumstances that invaded your life. It feels like it threatens your very existence. We're not talking about some little toothache. We're talking about when your life is on the line. I, I believe this will be true that storms of life are always designed to give us a deeper faith and a more reliance on God. I believe that to be true. Storms are not pleasant. They are not comfortable. And at times they seem so life-threatening. But there is always a purpose behind it. The disciples, they are in crisis in this passage. The storm, they can't control. They can't control the wind. They can't control the rain. They can't control the waves. They're totally out of control of what other circumstances, yet they're right in the middle of what God wanted them to be. They felt helpless and hopeless. And they're terrified. And so... They wake up Jesus, uh, and Jesus, what are, what are you afraid of? Like, I'm here with you. Are, are you afraid of the circumstances that are happening around you? The storm of emotion that's happening? Scared about the doctor's report? Scared about your financial situation? Scared about the future of your children? I'm right here with you. I'm riding the storm with you. But then there's this theological storm that happens in Mark chapter 4. So we got this storm going on. They ask Jesus. They wake him up. And this is what they say to Jesus. In verse 38 of chapter 4 of Mark, he says, Teacher, do you not care about us? That was the first question. All the storms of life, we're, we're, ready, we're about ready to drown. It's so overwhelming. Don't you care? about us uh, what they were saying what i know about you and what i'm experiencing right now doesn't match and that was the dilemma that those disciples had like you love me you say but look what i'm going through and yet in the middle of god's will i think of uh, mary and martha we know that story when they said where were you when we needed you if you had just had been here a little bit earlier it wouldn't be so painful it wouldn't be so bad what we're going through God, do you really care? Or is that just some theological nonsense that I was raised to believe? But in verse 5, something changes. Like I'm at the point, those first couple of verses, I'm thinking, oh, God, Dave is about ready to walk out on God. <laughs> like he's going to wash his hands. God, I'm not doing this anymore. But then look what, happened, what he says in verse 5. But I... Trust, oh my goodness, there's a shift. I trust in your unfailing love. You know, I don't get what's happening around me, but I know that you love me. But I see this, and I feel like the love that you have for me doesn't match what's happening, but I'm still going to trust that you love me. You think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not on your own understanding. When we lean on our own understanding, we try to understand the circumstances. We try to explain them away. We're trying to figure it all out when we lean on our own understanding. That's why it says right off the bat, trust in the Lord. 
And this all of a sudden there's a shift because David, though what he's experiencing is so hurtful and painful and feels moments of despair, he says, I'm still going to trust. Something is going on. And I'm going to trust. And, and then, of course, remember where uh, he, like his, the wrestling with all of his thoughts in his head. And I, I couldn't help but think of, we know this verse uh, so well, Philippians. Philippians 4, 8. Let me read it to you. Finally, brothers or sisters, uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. It's almost like a mind control. So it seems somewhere along the line, David has shifted from seeing all the stuff that's happening around him, all the circumstances, to now, okay, I'm going to begin to think, though, what God's like, what's praiseworthy, what's thankful, what's righteous, what's good, what's wholesome. In fact, can I just read a couple of those other verses that are found in Philippians? It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Listen to this. And the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, will guard your hearts and mind. I love that. And the peace of God will transcend anything of your understanding. You know where we're trying to figure it all out? Think on these things and the peace of God. And when you put that into practice, what you think about, what is really true, not what you're feeling, but what the facts are, the facts are God does love me, God does look out for me, God is providing for me, God is looking out for me. When you do, it says, and the God of peace will be with you. You can have the peace of God and you can have the God of peace with you. Listen, God has been good to us. If God never did another thing for us than just simply rescue us out of the mire and muck of our sin, if he did nothing else but just simply offered us salvation through his son Jesus, that would be enough (laughs) to praise him for the rest of our lives. That's the truth. But let me, I wrote down a couple things that we have. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We were chosen before the foundations of the world. We've been adopted by Jesus as sons and daughters. We have been accepted because Jesus made us his beloved. We have redemption through Jesus' blood. We have the forgiveness of sin. We have an inheritance. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are heirs with God. We are reconciled to God. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. We have been made a friend of God. We have been redeemed. We have been justified. We now have victory over sin. We have an advocate in Christ before God the Father. Father, we are the recipients of amazing grace. Our needs will be supplied. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. We no longer need that spirit of fear. We're part of the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen generation. We are his workmanship, and I, we have been bought with a price. And we are going to be presented before God, believe it or not, without fault and blameless before his presence. Which honestly at times think, that how is that even possible? It's because we have this robe of righteousness that's been wrapped up around us because of what Jesus did on the cross. So when God looks at us now, he doesn't look at us our sin. He looks at the righteousness of his son. 
We have been blessed. So do not be fooled by the circumstances of life that might get you thinking that God has left me behind or doesn't care. These are just feelings, but the facts are God loves you and God is always, always working behind the scenes of your life for your good, by the way. For his glory and for his good. That is why we can sing. Because he has been good to us. That is why we can raise and shout a hallelujah. Because he has been so good to us. Let's pray.